Hello, everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, a weekly half hour of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important in our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Savela. I live in Joshua Tree, and I'm very pleased to bring this program to the high desert and beyond here on Radio Free Joshua Tree. Today, I'm going to tell the myth of the descent of the goddess Inanna who goes down to the underworld. This is a very good story, for one thing. I mean, it's survived for 4,000 years. And it's also a useful meditation on this shift from what I would call heroic consciousness of the upper sunlit world with its activity and even conquering energies to something more introverted and receptive. This annual cycle of the seasons invites all of us to make that move from the really busy, outward, do, 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 do kind of frame of mind to something that's more reflective and restful. We are all feeling the pull downward by virtue of the fact that we are in these short days. But we can also be called, as Anana is called, to make the descent. Now, last week, I gave you some of the backstory on the goddess Anana, and I sketched out the myths, their poems, really, about her youth, about how she acquired her powers, which the Sumerians called May, and came to be the goddess queen of heaven and earth. Remember, she got her powers from Anki, the god of wisdom, by drinking them under the table. <laughs> and then I also told you about how she chose the shepherd, Demuzi, to be her beloved husband and made him king of her city, Uruk. So now we return to her story. We can imagine that she is in middle age. The honeymoon with Demuzi is over. He's preoccupied with being a king. And we kind of have the sense that Anana is at loose ends. So this is where we begin the story of Anana's descent from the great above to the great below. And I invite you to set aside whatever else you might be doing to relax and just sink into the story. Anana turned her ear to the ground. And I note that ear and mind are the same word in Sumerian. And both of them carry the meaning of being a receptor of wisdom. Anana turned her ear to the ground. The goddess knew that the husband of her sister, Arishkigal, who was queen of the underworld, had recently died. Arishkigal was given the underworld realm as her realm at the very, very beginning when the gods were dividing everything up. And there's kind of the suggestion in Sumerian mythology that she wasn't particularly happy with being given this part of the cosmos. But there you have it. So Anana decided that she would go down to visit her sister, attend the funeral rites, and cheer her up. Anana imagined that Arishkagil would probably be in need of the light and the life and the sweetness that she, as the glorious and beautifully fertile queen of heaven and earth, could provide. 
So Inanna assembled the symbols of all of her powers. She got her crown, her string of small lapis beads, her double strand of beads, her breastplate, her gold ring, and the lapis rod and line that she used to weigh and measure. The accoutrements, foundational accoutrements of her powers of her may. She did her hair. She put on some makeup. She put on her royal robes and accumulated some of her other power objects. And all of these things, her finery and her imposing appearance, proclaimed her importance as the goddess of heaven and earth and the royal priestess of everything that was sacred in the above. Anana was the protector of the city and the goddess of love. And thus arrayed in all of her glories, she was ready to go down and visit her sister, Arishkagel, queen of the underworld. Or so she thought. Now, it's a dangerous thing to go down to the underworld. It takes a lot of courage and even maybe some chutzpah or foolhardiness. So before she went, Anana told her faithful maidservant and loyal warrior, Ninshuber, of her plans. Now you might remember Ninshuber from last week. She is a very powerful, I don't know if she's a goddess, but she has goddess-like powers, very powerful, uh, used to be the queen of the east, and she saved the boat of heaven with all of the may on it for Anana. Uh, earlier in Anana's career. So these two are very tight, and Ninshaber is the right-hand woman of the goddess. She tells Ninshaber to come with her and to keep watch over the place of her descent for three days. And she asks that if she doesn't come back, you know, she says, Ninshaber, if I don't come back up out of the same spot in three days and three nights then please go and get help. First, I'd like you to go to Father Onley, God of the Air. He's everybody's father. And tell him what's happened to me. And then, if he won't help, go to my father, Nana, who is God of the Moon. You get that, Anana, Nana. And if he can't do anything, then go to Anki, the God of Wisdom, and the deep waters. Anki possesses the water and food of life, and I don't think he'll let me die. So Anana makes this request of Ninshaber, and Ninshaber agrees to do this. So Anana go, they go, and Anana goes down, and they, they don't really explain to us exactly how she does this. But in any event, when Anana arrives at the outer gates of the underworld, she calls out and knocks on the gates and you know everything's all locked up she creates a little commotion to attract the attention of the gatekeeper and when he comes and you know you can imagine him opening the little slot you know in the big gates and peering out and to see who's standing there there's this goddess and Anana says let me in she is terribly important you know being queen of heaven and earth and so she fully expects her request to be met immediately But instead, the gatekeeper just shrugs his shoulders and says, well, who are you? 
and Inanna draws herself up proudly and says, I'm Inanna, queen of heaven and earth, and I am Arishkagel's sister. Well, the guard is unimpressed with her answer, and he asks her to explain why she has come down to the underworld. Why is she bothering them down there? And she says, I'm here to help my poor sister mourn the death of her husband. The gatekeeper tells her to just wait, and he keeps her waiting outside there while he goes in to Queen Ishragil to see what she wants to do. Your sister is here at the gate, he reports, dressed up very fine and anxious to comfort you. Arishkigal is sitting on her throne, and she takes a moment to think about it, and you can imagine her biting her lip and contemplating, and finally she says, Okay, I'll tell you what, let her in, but strip her of her finery piece by piece at each of my seven gates. So Anana was allowed to pass, but at each one of the seven gates that lead to the inner sanctum where Arishkagal is sitting, something is removed. Her crown, her string of small lapis beads, her double strand of beads, her breastplate, her gold ring, the lapis rod and line used to weigh and measure. And finally, she even has to give up her robe. Every time she gets to a gate, the gatekeeper says, Anana, you must give me your breastplate or your robe or whatever the thing is. And every single time, Anana says, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to give that up. I don't need to. You know, I am Anana. And every single time, the gatekeeper says, Anana, you are now in the underworld, and the rules of the underworld are not to be questioned. So by the time she finally gets to the threshold of her sister's inner sanctum, she's completely naked and defenseless. Bowing low, she enters the throne room and she kneels down in the presence of Arishkagal. And all of the judges of the underworld are assembled there in the hall with her sister. And they murmur among themselves and pass judgment on her. And Arishkagal looks at her sister Anana with the eye of death. And then she hits her. And Anana is killed. Anana is now a corpse. And she is hung like a piece of rotting meat on a hook on the wall. Now, I'm not sure how many of you have experienced this, (laughs) but I certainly feel like I have. And this theme of dismemberment is a very important part of certain underworld experiences. Something has to be broken down. And when we see that something's being broken down or we experience that happening to ourselves physically or psychologically or spiritually, 
we know that there's a possibility for transformation because transformation involves destruction. (laughs) Otherwise, it wouldn't be irreversible. And that is the special quality of transformation. So when Nana is hanging like a piece of meat on this hook, turning green maybe, and the three days and the three nights go by, and luckily for her, Ninshaber is loyal and trustworthy, and she's been sitting at the spot of descent for all of this time, and when Anana doesn't reappear as planned, Ninshaber begins howling and weeping and tearing at her hair and her clothing, and she laments so loudly and so powerfully that in a very short period of time, everyone in the great above knows that the great goddess of heaven and earth is missing. Now Ninshaber goes to the houses of the gods, just as Anana had instructed. First she goes to Anli, the god of the air and father to all. And she powerfully entreats him. She says, your daughter Anana is trapped in the underworld. She needs your help. Surely you will not let your bright silver be covered with dust. Surely you will not let your lapis be broken into small pieces for the stonecutter. Surely you will not let your fragrant boxwood be cut up for use by the woodworker. Anana, the goddess of heaven and earth, she needs your help. And so we have all of these lovely metaphors for Anana, the lapis, the boxwood, and these are fine materials. They're they're temple materials, and they represent what is good and beautiful and rich uh, in the upper worlds. It's the material of the sacred. So Ninshaber is suggesting, obviously, that that is not to be lost, that we need that in the upper realms. And the the things that she talks about, the dusting and the breaking and the breaking down, you see that activity of dismemberment, disintegration, you know, which as we know is actually what is happening to Anana. Anli listens to Ninshaber very politely, and then when she's finished, he says somewhat angrily, look, my daughter Anana, she craved the power of heaven and earth, and she got it. Now Anana has decided to go to the underworld. Well, there are rules in the underworld. Nobody who goes there ever returns, and so Anana will just have to stay where she is. Okay, so there's no help to be had from Anli. So Ninshaber goes next to the house of Nana, the moon god, who is Anana's father. Surely, she's thinking, Anana's own father is going to be more sympathetic to the plight of his daughter, and again she entreats the god. She tells Nana, your daughter Anana is trapped in the underworld. She needs your help. Surely you will not let your bright silver be covered with dust. Surely you will not let your lapis be broken into small pieces for the stonecutter. Surely you will not let your fragrant boxwood be cut up for use by the woodworker. 
Anana, the goddess of heaven and earth, needs your help. Nana also listens to Ninchuber. And when she is finished, he also replies angrily, My daughter Anana craved the power of heaven and earth, and she got it. Now Anana has decided to go to the underworld. Well, there are rules in the underworld. No one who goes there ever returns, so Anana will have to stay just where she is. So, whoa, right? The two big gods, the god of gods and Anana's own father, both refuse to help her. So what do you think? I mean, was she wrong to go down there? These two gods seem to think that she was. You know, and so you sort of wonder, well, is she just a rule breaker? Does she think that she's immune? There's a little bit of a suggestion in her attitude at each of the gates that she probably did. But they could also be jealous of Anana or scornful of her ambition. And that raises the question of, to what does she aspire? Why did she go? Anana is a very complicated goddess, and so she might have imagined that her descent is some sort of power grab, you know, that there was something left to get. But the idea that she turned her ear to the ground at the time of life that she did, when the honeymoon was over, And presumably the phase of her life that was grounded in that kind of beauty and sexual potency, um, that suggests something more soulful to me. You know, that, that something else is happening, that she needs to make this move down. And also, if we just pause to reflect on the role of her father, you know, we know that our families are not always supportive of us. And a lot of very troubling personal stories and mythologies get created around, you know, various forms of dysfunction that we feel victimized by or whatever. And I I don't want to take away from some of that, that terrible things do happen. But there's, archetypally, there's often a conflict between one's innate sense of oneself and your family or your culture. And it's not unusual and it's not necessarily bad. Because sometimes those tensions are the things that propel us to become more of who we are meant to be. You can get too much support. You can be too comfortable, you know. And comfort sometimes creates inertia in life. So Ninchaber has one more option. She has yet to call on Anki, the god of wisdom and the deep waters. Anki is Anana's grandfather And as you might recall, he's the god who got drunk and gave her many of her powers. Those powers embodied in the crown and the robe and the necklace and the other things that she has lost along the way that she's had to give up at each one of the gates. So when Ninshaber sees Anki, she falls down onto her knees. And again, she says to him, your daughter Inanna is trapped in the underworld. She needs your help. Surely you will not let your bright silver be covered with dust. Surely you will not let your lapis be broken into small pieces for the stone cutter. Surely you will not let your fragrant boxwood be cut up for use by the woodworker. Anana, the goddess of heaven and earth, needs your help. 
Anki listens very carefully to Ninshuber. And when she's finished, he says, Oh my God, what has happened? What has my daughter done? Anana is trapped in the underworld? Oh, she went down there herself, didn't she? Oh my. Well, I am quite distressed. I am grieved. Anana, the goddess of heaven and earth, cannot be left to die in the underworld. Anki made a lot of different creatures. You might recall that he has sent a variety of different creatures from things I couldn't pronounce to giants and snakes and dragons or whatever after the boat to get the May back uh, when he discovered that Anana had he'd given it all to Anana. But in any event, he had this ability and you know, he also knew something about the underworld because he had attempted to go there himself a long, long time ago. And that is actually how he became the god of wisdom. Anki understands the call to go to the great below. And he understands the need to answer that call. So Anki scrapes some dirt out from underneath his fingernails And he takes this dirt and he molds two very small creatures, a Kugara and a Galator, which I think of as being kind of like little tiny androgynous fairies of some sort. And he makes these two creatures and as they're flitting around in the air in front of him, he gives them some instructions. So he says, okay, you guys go down to the underworld, buzz like flies through the cracks in the gates and look for Arishkigal in her throne room. When you find her, she will be moaning like a woman giving birth. Her clothes will be all in disarray, her hair will be matted, and when she cries out, Oh, my insides, my insides! You will fly, fly close to her and say, Oh, your insides, your insides! And when she cries out, oh, my outsides, my outsides, you will also cry, oh, your outsides, your outsides. And Arishkigal will be pleased with you and offer you a gift. But don't take anything that she offers. Just ask for Anana. Then Anki gave the Kugera and the Galator the water of life and the food of life. When she gives you back Anana, he says, I want you to sprinkle her with these and the goddess will rise and then you can bring her back. Down, down, down in the underworld, in the meantime, we've got Anana hanging on the hook and Arishkiga in the cold, dusty underworld is in fact moaning like a woman in labor. The Kugera and the Galator find her in her throne room And she is moaning, and her clothes are in disarray, and her hair is matted, and it's a terrible sight. It's exactly like Anki said. And Arishkigal cries out, Oh, my insides, my insides. And the little creatures cry, Oh, your insides, your insides. Arishkigal cries out, Oh, my outsides, my outsides. And the creatures also cry out, Oh, your outsides. You're outsides. Oh, my back, my back, Arishkigal moans. And the creatures moan, oh, you're back, you're back. Oh, my liver, my liver, 
she says. And the creatures groan, Oh, your liver, your liver. The queen of the underworld stops and looks around. Who is there? she demands. And why do you comfort me? If you are gods, I thank you. And if you are not, I will give you a great gift. Well, the Kugera and the Galator come forward, and Arishkagal smiles at them. She's very pleased with their empathy. I will give you the water of life, she says. But they shake their heads. No, we don't want the water of life. No, says Arishkagal. Well, how about the power to grow grain? I will give you the staff of life. But again, they shake their heads no. Thank you, say the creatures, but we would like to have our queen Anana. Now, Rishkagul purses her lips at this, and uh, I don't know about that, she says. I don't think I can give you Anana uh, because, well, she's not in the same shape that she was in the last time that you saw her. But the Kugera and the Galator insist that they get Anana back. Anana is our queen, and she's what we need, they say. So Arishkagul signals her servants to take Anana down from the hook, and the Kugera and the Galator sprinkle the corpse with the water and the food of life, and Anana comes back to life. And they do make a journey to the upper worlds again. And there's some interesting things about that journey. So next week, I'm going to continue... But let's pause for a moment here before we part ways to consider the connection between wisdom and this underworld experience of being broken. I think that connection is compassion. It's not possible to be wise without being compassionate. Those two things spring from a very deep understanding, a lived experience of our condition and the way that the world works and the knowledge that we are all in it together, that we're all going through it together. And a descent like the one that Anana has made reveals our vulnerability. We can go along for a long time, can't we, without appear, you know, having any significant trouble. And then you start to sort of feel, usually unconsciously, like you're secure, like you're sort of untouchable. And maybe even that you deserve that peace and that good fortune. But then suffering and hardship comes along and boom. Nope, you're in the soup with everybody else. I think the poet David White speaks to that secret wish we carry. The wish to be safe, to be exempt from suffering and loss. When he says, enlightenment is giving up all hope of immunity. When you turn your ear to the ground, when you answer that call, the call of the underworld, that's the beginning of finding your place in human community. And that descent, that journey takes you to your truth about it. There's a poem by Mary Oliver that speaks to this for me. It's called In Blackwater Woods, and it goes like this. Look, the trees are turning their own bodies into pillars of light, are giving off the rich fragrance of cinnamon and fulfillment. The long tapers of cattails are bursting and floating away 
over the blue shoulders of the ponds. And every pond, no matter what its name is, is nameless now. Every year, everything I have ever learned in my lifetime leads back to this. The fires and the black river of loss, whose other side is salvation, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones knowing your own life depends on it, and when the time comes, to let it go. To let it go. So that's it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth in the Mojave for this week. I hope you're enjoying the story of Anana and that you'll tune in again to hear the next installment of her story. If you have questions or comments about this program or mythology in general, feel free to contact me through Myth in the Mojave on Facebook or to email me through my website, mythicmojo.com. Happy myth-making, and in the meantime, keep the mystery in your life alive.